Hey everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Amen. Good morning, church. I think I heard a snow pigeon at the end of that, that video. Well, hey, church, as we gather today, um, just want to acknowledge again, yesterday was a somber day for, for everybody. Any of us that are over, like, say, 25, 26, we remember where we were. We remember where we were. And as we've been singing, as we've been lifting up, uh, we gather as a church in a broken and a fallen world. And sometimes when we're resting ourselves in the joy of Christ, it's actually, it's a, it's a sacrifice of praise and it's a protest of joy that says we're the ones who want to stand up and say Jesus overcomes all of this. Amen? So as we move forward, I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're, we're finishing the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And I'm going to pick up at verse 27. As you open your scriptures, let's, let's open our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Lord, in your mercy, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open your word to us and open us to your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. In his name we pray. And the church said, amen. amen. Okay, verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest, even now. The one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. So, <clears throat> excuse me, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is God's Word. We want to talk today about being open to others. So we're moving through our series on belong. We're finishing the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, being open to others. This woman, she starts out as a loner, and she becomes the town evangelist. Right? How does that happen? How does that happen? Jesus said once that the kingdom of God is like a seed. And the seed 
It's so small, but you drop it in the, in the soil and something happens. Luke 13, he said, it's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. The seed, the smallest of all seeds, the unlikeliest of persons to become the one to invite a city to Jesus, the seed, it, it changes inside. Something changes in this woman. And she becomes not this insignificant little seed. She becomes actually a tree with branches, a place where others can come and find refuge and find shelter and find hope. Everything about her story changes. The Samaritan woman is open to others. She is open to others. She's not only suddenly at home in her own skin, but she's suddenly at home with God, and all of a sudden she is open to others. Everything has changed. Well, this is what we want, folks. We want true belonging. That's what we want. Loneliness is killing us, and Jesus, Jesus invites us to truly belong. Uh, when I started this series, I preached a message a few weeks ago. Uh, it was that message on how Jesus showed up without a bucket, showed up to the well without a bucket. After I preached that message, uh, I got a text from my, my niece, Amanda. Amanda lives in California now. She's an Air Force wife now. She wasn't always an Air Force wife. You know, you don't start out that way. She, <laughs> she, she, met, uh, she met her husband while he was a, a, an Air Force cadet at the Air Force Academy, and she was at UCCS. And, and they met one another, going to a college fellowship thing that met on Friday nights that New Life Church used to put on. And, and so just pause there for just a second. Quick poll in the room. Who, if you're married, who in here, you met your spouse at church? Hands in the air, hands in the air, hands in the air. All right, keep them up. Who met your spouse at a Christian gathering of any kind or a Christian college, Christian, look, more hands, more hands, more hands. Woo. See, this, God does this, amen? You can put your hands down. But you should be proud. You should be excited. God does this kind of thing in the body, in the church, and that's good. Now, on a totally unrelated note, our pastor Greg Hartnett, youth, uh, pastor of youth and young adults, has started a new young adults gathering <clears throat> called uh, Base Camp, and the first meeting was today, and, and uh, if you missed it, sign up and get to the next one. Just total, two totally unrelated points, okay? Uh, but if you need that information, I thought it might apply uh, right at that moment. So anyway, she met, uh, she met her husband, Taylor. And now they, they had to get shipped off to California. And so she sent me this text after she watched that sermon. She said, hi, Uncle Tim, how are you? I hope you and the family are well. I have a story for you. I'll make a really long story short. So being here in California, I've been feeling really lonely. Recently, our washer broke. Of course, Taylor leaves on a month-long training and then our washer breaks. Any, any military spouses in the room here today? You're like, mmm. Anyways, I thought about your sermon on Sunday and I thought to myself, well, I can either haul two baby boys with me to the laundromat to do laundry or I can go to my neighbors with an empty bucket and ask if I can use their washer for the time being. 
and I did. And our neighbors are an older retired couple, and the wife, Na, has already watched Robbie while I've had to put David down for a nap, folded a load of my laundry, and taught me how to make sushi. (laughs) So we are feeling very blessed. And I'm just so thankful for the word the Lord gave you and how it already made an impact here on my life in Cali. So thank you. Thank you. Church, um, that's what this is about. We gotta get out of loneliness and isolation and into belonging. And remember that, need is an occasion for relationship. But this whole story, the Samaritan woman, she's trying to show us a way. Jesus is trying to show us a path of how to get out of isolation and loneliness and move into belonging. And what I want us to see, church, is I want us to see this, this fourfold movement, okay? This four-step process that she walks through. I want you to absorb this. I want you to get it. First, she was alone. She was alone, and it was no good. She, had, she avoided others, and she had these defense mechanisms that she, had, that she raised up, and she defended her sort of her position. She kept people at bay, and she was alone. Now, who was Jesus in that stage. Jesus in that stage in her life was a stranger. He was a foreign man. She just called him sir. Look at verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? It's just a strange man. Next, what happens next? Well, next, Jesus sees through her mask. He penetrates her, her like her fortress. And he's like, I know you and I know your story. And I can see you and I can see your story. And she, what happens to her is what we talked about is she risks being known. She's like, okay, I'm going to stand here and risk being known. Who is Jesus to her at that stage? Jesus at that stage is a prophet, somebody who knows more than any guy ought to know. Look at this, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a, say it together, church, you're a prophet. Well, then what? The third step is what we talked about last week. The third step is that she meets Jesus. She comes to know that Jesus is the Christ. She comes to a new knowledge of who this man standing in front of her is. And her relationship with Jesus is not some far-off thing, and he's not some magical prophet, some magician. No, she comes to learn that he is the Christ the Messiah. Look at this. Verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, say this with me, church, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. I am. She comes to know the Christ. She comes to see who Jesus is. And everything in her starts to change. I want you to get this now. In the Gospel of John, up till this point, Jesus has never said this, this clearly. He is, from time to time, he's talked about the Son of Man in kind of this obscure fashion, leaving people to wonder, actually, is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? But now, we have in this moment the clear revelation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And who is it that first in the Gospel of John receives the clear revelation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? It's the Samaritan woman by the side of this well. 
I want you to get that. She's way out on the margin. Jesus reveals himself to her. Well, what happens next? The fourth thing is what happens today, that she's a new person. She's changed. She's, she's transformed. Her life is, is different. Her story has changed. She's got a new ground of being. She's got kind of a new identity that's emerging, and, and she is altered, root and stem. I mean, she's changed. She's got an identity in Christ that, that's got this forgiveness beginning to happen, this reconciliation, this, this power, this love, this spirit. She's, suddenly, she's at peace with God, and she's suddenly at peace with herself, and she's got a new and eternal life. And how do I know that? Because watch what happens next. No more hiding, no more evading, no more avoiding. She can get, under, she can get her feet under her and walk right toward these people that she has avoided for so many years. And she walks toward others. She's open to others in a totally new way because her entire story is altered. Listen to me now. Whether Jesus enters your life in the first chapter or in the last chapter or anywhere in between, when Jesus enters your story, he changes the whole narrative. The whole story is different. And her story is rewritten in gospel letters. And it's no longer a shame story. It's no longer a, a lonely story. It's no longer a failed marriages story. It's a Jesus story. And she can walk right toward others. She walks out of isolation and into true belonging. So do you get that? You got the four pieces? Here we go again. Because I want you to know this, I want you to have this, because what we're actually going to do is, for the rest of the series, we're going to apply this to our life together as a church. What does this mean for us as a church? Number one, she was alone. Alone's no good. Number two, she risked being known. Risk being known. Number three, by the mercy and grace of God, meet Jesus Christ. Nothing will transform your life like your relationship with Jesus Christ. And number four, when she's, she's healed, she's redeemed, her story is rewritten, She's open to others in a new way. I want you to kind of put that on a card, laminate it, jam it in your wallet, put it on your apps, your note apps on your phone, whatever you got, because I want us to know. I want us to know, church, how to move out of isolation and into true belonging. Because if we can know that, if we can understand that movement that Jesus is trying to teach us, we can be ambassadors to a lonely and a hurting world. What if we send out 3,000 experts into our city on getting out of isolation and pain and loneliness and moving into true belonging? Would that make a difference? It's what we want to do. It's what we want to do. Amen? Are you in? Okay, so let's study number four, the fourth movement here. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Surprised, it says in the NIV. Astonished is a little bit closer for me to the Greek word. Traumatized is not far off. <laughs> They're shocked out of their shoes. Jesus, what are you doing? And what are they shocked about? That he's talking to a woman. Friends, the disciples are all worked up about all the wrong stuff. They are all worked up 
about all the wrong stuff. And John even gives us this little insight. You know what they were thinking. They were thinking this and this. But thank God, none of them was dumb enough to let that spill out of their lips. So they were all worked up about all the wrong stuff. They were worried about appearances. They were worried about racial and religious lines that Jesus was crossing. They were, they were worried about, about Jesus talking to a woman. They're, they're worried about food, aren't they? Like, I'm not even going to go in. I could preach a whole sermon on the food paragraph. But they're just worried about food. Like, they, that's where they think the whole day is about. What's today about? It's about food. Because Jesus said, go get me some food. And so we went and walked to the city, and we got him some food, and we brought the food back, and we said, Jesus, here's your food. And Jesus said, I don't need food. <laughs> so then they're like, well, who gave him food? And they're like, Rabbi, please eat the food that I, I hiked my rear end all the way to town to get for you, right? Who gave this guy food? It's not about food. Look, folks, even the most well-meaning and devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we can get our eyes on the wrong thing. We can get all wrapped up in the totally wrong stuff that just doesn't matter at all. Amen? Amen. Keep your eyes on the prize. What's it about that day? It's about a divine appointment. If, you, if your Bible's open, you've got John 4 open, you can see this unfold. Verse 4. It says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, why does Jesus, the Lord of all things, have to do anything at all? Think about that for a minute. It says he had to. Verse 6, he just happened to sit down at the well at noon when this woman just happened along to be gathering water when no woman ought to be coming out in the heat of the day to gather water. Just happened that way. And then... Just when he's finished with this conversation where he reveals himself as Savior and Lord to her, transforms her life, well, what happens in verse 27 as we pick up our passage? Well, it says, just then his disciples return. Just then. Just then. Just in time. Friends, this was a divine appointment. God is at work doing something eternal. Jesus is in the business of divine appointments. When did Jesus come into your life, those of you who are walking with him, who know him? When did he show up to rescue you? I bet it was just then, right on time. And Jesus, he goes on to explain to his disciples, you've got your eyes on the wrong thing. You've got your eyes off the ball. I'm going to do stuff, and, and you're going to miss it if you insist on keeping your eyes on what doesn't matter at all. Look at where he meets them. He says, you've got this saying, don't you? Uh, four months until the harvest. Like, you, you, you've got this saying that, that you, you start with the seed and then there's the shoot and then you have to wait, wait, wait to harvest the fruit. But what I'm telling you, Jesus says, is you drop that seed in the ground. The stuff that I'm doing is the eternal seed of the, of the word of God, the eternal seed of my kingdom, it hits the soil and lives are changed immediately. I mean, it's like, Root, shoot, and fruit in an instant. And her whole life is changed. And you can be a part of that, or you can keep your eyes on the dumb stuff that doesn't matter at all. If you want to watch, and you turn your eyes to the kingdom and what I'm doing, that's what Jesus is saying in all that. It's not about the food. It's not about the food. Jesus is changing lives. Now, catch this. He says in the middle of that, <laughs> he says, hey, guys, Disciples, they're all guys. He says, hey, guys, um, 
fields are ripe for the harvest. And he sort of casts his hand over the region of Samaria. Some of you are with me, right? Hey, hey folks, look at all these people. They could be part of your family. They could come into your church. Now, if you don't know this, the disciples, they're upset because he's talking to a woman, but they're even more upset that he's talking to a Samaritan woman because every minute that they're spending in Samaria, their skin is crawling just to be there. They discriminate on, on racial lines, on religious lines. They discriminate on regional lines. And Jesus, he, he, he stretches his hand out. All of these could be part of your family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we discriminate. We draw false lines, disqualifying people from the reach of God's love and mercy and grace. And Jesus is saying, get your eyes on the ball. All of these that the love of God reaches, they are for the family of God and they will be in the family of God and you welcome them with open arms, with open hearts. They're part of your church. But we focus on all the wrong things and discriminate and disqualify others from reaching the love of God. All I'm saying, church, is let's not. Amen? Let's keep our eyes on the prize. But back to our hero, the Samaritan woman who we only know, this nameless woman who we only know as the Samaritan woman at the well. The disciples were unnerved that Jesus was even talking to her. But they were so rattled that no one dared ask anything. But watch what happens to her. Verse 28 Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, just pause right there. Then, leaving her water jar. Anybody here to remember um, how much she likes that water jar? You remember the first conversation that she has with Jesus? Jesus came up and he he had no water jar. He had no buckets. He's like, "Um, can I have some water? Uh, no, because you don't have a bucket, right? But I've got a bucket. I got this bucket. I really like this bucket. This is an awesome bucket. And you don't have a bucket, and so you're going to go thirsty because you don't have a bucket to get any water. I've got a bucket. I'm going to get some water because I've got this great bucket, right? And what does she do? She drops that thing, and she moves out. She runs. Church, I want you to see this is the transforming moment. Her whole life has changed. Everything she thought was important has shifted. Everything that she valued has changed. Everything within her is becoming different. And she is transformed and she drops that bucket and she runs. Once she sees Jesus for who he is, once she sees the living Christ, she is altered. And and just as Jesus had said, rivers of living water start to well up from within her soul. From that empty place, that broken and empty place that she always defended, that she always guarded, that she didn't let anyone see. From that, that, that very root in her heart that was an aching emptiness that she could not satisfy. From right there, the Holy Spirit starts filling her up with water. And she can feel it to the point where she drops that bucket and she runs. Her whole story is different. Everything about her life is changed from out of loneliness and pain 
Right in that vacuous gap, the Spirit of God starts to well out. And she moves out. I mean, she drops that bucket and moves out, baby. She's got a new story. And she moves right back into that town. She walks right back toward that community that she had systematically evaded for years. Do you see that? How can she do that? Well, she walks back towards those people and engages them all in a new relationship. A relationship built on Jesus Christ. Look at this, verse 29. Let's read this together, church. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? See, he knows everything, she says. He knows everything I ever did. Come see this guy, because he knows everything I ever did. You know what the townspeople are thinking? We all know everything you ever did. Like, I know, she knows, he knows. You know, we all know. But it isn't about that. See, it isn't about Jesus knowing everything she ever did. It's that he rewrote her story. He rewrote her story. He changed everything about her life. I imagine as she walked back into that group, there were people there that she had hurt in the past. And there were people there that had hurt her. There were people in that circle that she had disappointed. And there were people that had disappointed her. These people knew each other. If you hang around in church, you hang around in community, you hang around in family, these are real stories. These are real stories. And she moves toward them, open to others. Why? Because she's transformed. Her whole story has changed. And she, her story is rewritten in gospel letters. And she says, yeah, there were hard times. There were dark times. They led me to the light of Christ. There were confusing times. And there were mistakes. And even that part of my story, it led me to the redeeming love of Jesus. There are times that I hurt you and you hurt me. But in, in the end of that story... It brought us to the place of collapsing into the arms of Jesus Christ and his, and his grace. And her story, it's not a loneliness story. It's not a failed marriages story. It's not a shame story. It's a Jesus story because it's no longer about her failure. It's about her Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? You see that? Friends, wherever Jesus enters your life story, Wherever he enters the narrative, when he enters the story, it changes the whole story from past, present, and future. So the town, you know, the town loner becomes the town evangelist. How about that? And she's effective. Did you see that? She goes in and she starts talking to these people. She says, come see a man. And that's it. That's all she says. Come and see. Come see this Jesus. Folks, I want you to catch, that is the root of evangelism. Not, uh, hey, listen to my, uh, my watertight defense of biblical authority, right? Not, hear my, you know, my case uh, and, and my ready defense. Not, let me show you how wrong you are and how right I am. These are not great evangelistic techniques. But what does she say? Come see a man. Come see my Jesus. 
come see a man. Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life, he said, whatever you do, just never stop talking about Jesus. Come see a man. And she's effective. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Which is more than that, right? He rewrote my story. Many believed, so they invited Jesus toward them. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, let's read this together, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Who is Jesus now? He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. And he's not just the helper of one woman at one well on one day. Who is Jesus now? He's the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. Why is he so effective an evangelist? It's her life is transformed from the inside out. And the people who know her best, they can see it. She's different. She's, got a, she's on a different footing from the first words that are coming out of her mouth. I mean, here's this woman who systematically avoided and evaded others, who hid herself, who had defense mechanisms up, sarcasm and push-off remarks. And, and here she comes into the town. Well, hey, everybody. Here I am. And this guy knows everything I ever did. And I want you to know him. How does she find that kind of footing where her whole story has been rewritten in gospel letters by the power of Jesus Christ? And I want you to know it can happen for you. Because what happens? When you are transformed by Christ, when you are at home in Christ, you no longer need others to, for, you don't need their approval for your identity because your identity is in Christ. You don't need them to reciprocate and validate your emotions. Why? Because you are in yourself at peace with God and at peace with who you are in Christ. Do you see that? That's a new foundation. That's a new ground for being. You don't need other people to rewrite their version of your story because your story is in Jesus Christ and your story is a Jesus story. And when you're in that place, you can move toward others in a totally new way. And just be like, yeah, this is, here I am, baby. And I've got mistakes, and I've got victories, and I've got pain, and I've got sorrow, and I've got joy, and I've got, you know, I've got all this stuff in my life, and my story is a Jesus story. My story is a story of Jesus, my Savior. I want to give you two reasons why this woman was vested with a unique and powerful, charismatic evangelistic authority. See, she didn't need to armor up anymore. Number one, she had a new story, a transformed life. Jesus rewrote her whole story and everyone could see it. In the Middle Ages, Julian of Norwich, she said, um, once you, you absorb and you truly understand the love of Christ, she said this, sin will be no shame but honor. Sin will be no shame but honor. I know you're scratching your head. What do you mean? Honor and sin? 
Am I gonna glory in my sin? No. But at the cross of Christ, even the sin chapters, even the mistake chapters, even the shame chapters, they're transformed to be part of a story that glorifies God. Even the chapters where things went the very worst, the failed marriage chapter, it just got me on my knees in front of Jesus. The alcoholism, it just forced me into the hands of my Savior. The porn addiction, it's just a season in life where I, I thirsted for the freedom that the Lord eventually brought. The failed business that pushed me into despair, the mistake on that trip, the whatever it is. You see that? Jesus transforms your story wherever he enters. And even, even the dark parts, the sin parts, they become a story of honor and the glory of Jesus Christ. Because it isn't about your failure. It's about your Savior. Amen? Number one, her story was changed. Number two, and this is it, She loved her Savior. You see that? She loved her Savior. She was overwhelmed. She loved this Jesus who showed up in her life and changed her heart and made everything different and transformed her story. She loved him. She dropped her, her water jar. She just ran to town because she just had to say, there's a Jesus that can change your life. And she's full of love, love for Jesus, passionate love for him. Listen, church, the only ultimate grounds for the authority of evangelism is the love of Jesus Christ. I love my Savior. He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just... Christ. He's her Christ. He's her Savior. He's her Messiah. He walks with her. She walks with him. They're together. And he, she loves him. And even as she's revealed all of her story and he knows all that she's got, all that she's done, he knows her through and through and through. He loves her. And she loves him. Folks, your story, it can be a Jesus story. As Jesus steps into your life and rewrites every bit in gospel letters, the letters that he won by giving his life on the cross for you. Step out of alone. Step out of alone and into true belonging. Jesus invites you to belong. Lord Jesus, we pray for that. We pray that you would just burst through our, our silly armaments and defensive postures and our masks and that you would just break in to every heart. Know us. And as you know us, Lord, let us also feel your love that knowing us, you died for us. You gave your life for us. And you rose again from the dead for us that our story can be a Jesus story to your glory forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.